I probably used to do things differently just for the sake of doing things differently. But actually what I want is just to do things a bit better. So I just see things and think, maybe we could change that. Maybe I'll just try that a little bit differently. That's all I see the leaders around me do as well. You know, some people are like hugely visionary and see a new way of, I don't know, transacting, for example, and here comes Klarna and and whatever. But you've also got people who are just going, how could this be a bit easier, a bit easier, a bit better? And that's what I'm trying to do with Thompson, really. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. I'm Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 90 of the podcast, in which we are joined by Rachel Cook, who is the managing director of the creative agency Thompson. Rachel is a multi-skilled executive with a fascinating career journey that led her to the managing director role at Thompson. And this career journey is one of the fascinating things that we talk about in this episode. To give you a glimpse into her journey, though, she left university with a singing degree, then started at Thompson as the office manager, working her way up and across various roles before going on to complete a management buyout with some of her colleagues and then eventually stepping into the MD role. Her personal journey comes with a track record of driving and delivering business growth. It's characterized by her energetic and empowering leadership style with a real commitment to doing things differently. Rachel is also passionate about driving change and awareness on cultural issues, on women's rights and particularly mental health for senior leaders. I know I'm always going to be slightly biased, folks, but this really is a great episode. And I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this when I say that sometimes in life, when we are meeting somebody or doing some research on them, their biography and the experience of meeting that person in real life can sometimes be two different things. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to say that this is absolutely not the case with Rachel. Everything in her bio, everything I've just shared is exactly what you get when you talk to her, which again, you'll appreciate when you listen to this very real, very honest conversation. I know you're gonna get loads of value from this episode and that you'll instantly warm to this week's fabulous guest. So, without any further preamble from me, please enjoy my conversation with Rachel Cook. Rachel, a very warm welcome to the podcast. And actually, it is a very warm welcome because it's a scorching hot day in the UK as we're recording this. But um, first of all, welcome. And how are you? Thank you, Ben. Yeah, lovely to see you. I am very good. I am also warm, not as as, as sweaty as you in your 29 degree studio that you just told me about. But yes, hello to the UK heatwave. Long may it last. Yep, this is our summer. It will end on Saturday and then back, back to normal. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm off to Glastonbury next week, actually. So I'm convinced it's going to be an absolute torrential sort of time uh, as of Wednesday next week through to next Monday for that very reason. So yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's dive straight in. And as we were just saying, and as many listeners will start to be familiar with this, one of the very first questions I often ask is the one that I say is a simple question to ask, but perhaps not such an easy one to answer. But what does leadership mean to you, Rachel? Yeah, you definitely dive straight in there with that big one, don't you? So, um, I mean, the brass tacks version and probably I would say the Google version where I to have done my homework would be around uh, motivating, inspiring, influencing people to move in a direction towards a vision, whether it's your own or whether it's that that's been given to you to uh, draw people towards it. But I think the thing for me when it comes to leadership is really it's about doing what's needed so being a leader is about doing what's needed to help people turn their heads in a direction get their feet moving in a direction and their hearts beating and you know the energy pulsing or whatever the analogy is so that they start moving and keep moving in that direction and doing whatever it takes to develop those people to move there that's probably what I would say that's in my non-google interpretation of it yeah, I prefer that to what Google says for for sure. Like I'm I'm intrigued. Like I I love that definition. Like it really chimes with a lot of my beliefs and experiences about leadership. Like where did where did that definition come from for you? Is it kind of evolved and marinated over the years? Has it come from watching good and good and bad leaders? No, I think actually it's probably come in the last couple of days since you told me these questions in advance actually and I had time to sort of think about it. But also a common question that I do come across is being asked to consider what my leadership style is and I'm very honest and say that it's a combination of me making it up and me messing up etc but I realize that actually I am good at some bits of leadership even if I sort of cock up along the way and that is the kind of the and I'm gesticulating wildly now for the benefits of, of listeners but it's about pulling people towards you and, and sort of inspiring them towards that goal I can do that bit that's the bit I've got I, I maybe I lack process and I lack I don't know the sort of academic rigor that many uh, leaders might have but I can learn that and I can gather that around me but actually the bit that I can do I've often reflected over the last couple of years is that inspiration bit so I'm choosing that that definition deliberately based on what I believe I offer as a leader does that make sense yeah it makes makes perfect sense and kind of here we go as is normal going off on all sorts of tangents to where we thought the conversation would go straight away and I love that definition because I often talk about the fact that I really think leadership is a lot more art and psychology than it is maybe science and, and and process i think the management side of things there's probably a lot of process and rigor in in there but i think the job of a leader incorporates some leadership skills and some some management skills so i think the leadership part is kind of fluid and emotional and art and psychology rather than than hard, hard process so i'm with you on that one and you can be a great manager and not a great leader. And I think it's a good idea to separate those two things. Personally, also because it gives me a bit of comfort that I know that I can learn those things and that I don't have to be ready-made as a manager, say. And like I said, I can surround myself with either the people or the teachers or the skills. So I need that definition. So thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And that's probably a nice lead-in as well, Rachel, because you've got... Um from speaking to you this week, wasn't it? You've got quite an interesting journey that got you into the into the MD's kind of seat, as it were. Do you want to share a little about, about your story with us? Because I think it's fascinating. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. Yes, it's probably a somewhat bumpy road to getting here. I started off, I'll move quickly through the the academia years, but I did a degree in singing at Leeds Conservatoire and then swiftly realised that that was all well and good, but I did want a job that was going to earn me some money. And, you know, the starving musician thing didn't perhaps work for me. And also, you know, you have to be a certain type of person and a certain type of look to make it as a singer. And you know what? I was I wasn't that, still not. So anyway, I um did various bits and pieces and then found my way into becoming a, an office manager at what is now the business that I own and manage. And this was at Thompson, which was a branding agency, didn't really know what one of those was, but office manager. I also called myself uh head of good vibes, and I would organize things like birthdays and pet post and answering the phones and just sorting out stuff and I didn't realize it then in fact it's only recently that I realized it but it's actually given me a really good not just a foot in the door but also a really good understanding of a business and how it works but on a much more junior level and through the office manager role I quickly took on some clients I was really well positioned I'm not going to say lucky but I was in a good place so I took you know, London 2012 Olympics and the National Media Museum and other great clients and then moved my way up through client services and the account management role and found that was good at that and I'm I am and I will often say I'm in a very privileged position as a white able-bodied woman so but I was able to keep saying yes to what I was good at and just keep following that and the people that I was with the owners of the firm it was an independent branding agency and the founder owner who'd set it up in the 80s wanted a way out to pursue other interests and myself and two others formed an MBO team eventually and went through a a management buyouts, which concluded for four years ago. And it was through that, because before, prior to the MBO, I actually was probably still an account director, really. So I definitely had ideas above my station from going from that to managing director, but someone needed to do it. And actually, I was best placed to do it, I finally realised. And so I kind of put myself and and pointed myself to the MD spot. So yeah, moving from office manager to MD sounds quite nice. It was very bumpy and there were definitely times when I had no idea what I was doing. Well, actually, that's probably every day and I bet everyone says that, but it was certainly an uncommon trajectory. But it means I've worked my way through an agency, worked through my way through a business, and I would not change it at all. Wow. I'm intrigued by the singing piece, the singing degree, consciously or unconsciously. Do you think you've kind of applied much from that degree that has helped you in terms of how you you communicate because you're really eloquent communicator are there lots of transferable skills there that help you when you may be communicating one-on-one or giving presentations to groups 100 percent. I think I'm really again I don't like using the word lucky but I'm really pleased that I've got that founding that's that sort of basis because as a performer as a singer Even if you're just doing a wedding gig, you've got to stand on stage and say, ladies and gentlemen, the bride and groom, Uh, you know, from that to performing at, you know, whatever gig it might be, it takes a certain amount of confidence. But also it means, and and this bit is luck, because I do think, you know, having semi-decent vocal cords is a luck thing. It also meant that people told me I was very good at stuff. I was good. People tell you that when you're a singer, they don't say, oh, you're good at singing. They say you're amazing. And that really builds you up. You, you, You basically feel like you're amazing as a person. Obviously, it means that the lows are are really poor, but it meant I've always had a fairly good, completely probably overinflated sense of self-worth. And that's really hard to, I don't don't know if it's hard to get, but I'm glad that I've got it. And I really think it's it's helped me to get where I am. Mm. And has that helped you? Have you 
tried to do that to other people then in so much as are you quite conscious about lifting other people up and giving lots of praise and encouragement and support has it carried through to how you operate as a leader yeah it absolutely has yeah it's something I believe in giving compliments freely and using praise freely not to manipulate towards a particular goal but because it's good to share positive feedback and 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 I've really seen people blossom and and grow in that way even when I've been really self-conscious doing it because actually growing as a leader I think in a more junior stage you feel a bit of a tit really sort of giving people feedback when you're still figuring it out yourself but actually just being free and open with your feedback I've seen it just do beautiful things for people and knowing that praise works for me it means you know I can be really generous with it yeah I mean the performing thing is fascinating as well right because yeah whilst I'm um, a strong advocate of being really authentic as a leader and being the best possible version of you rather than trying to copy somebody else Mm. that being said still as a leader there are many times and we have to stand up and we have to perform right there's times and we might need to present a slightly different vibe or state to the one that we're naturally feeling so again I guess that transferable skill of really being able to stand in front of people and and put on a performance must must be useful yeah, it's really handy. It means that, uh, particularly in our world in the creative industries, people still pitch for work in a in a quite a performative way. And you know, people talk about wheeling out the pitch team, and people will wheel me out when it's required. And I have to be careful with that. You know, I've got to protect my own energy, but also it's easy for me to sort of step into presenter and it's sort of salesperson mode, and that's not cool for everyone you know, and everything. And I need to not sell a dream, and that is what I can sometimes do for the right person in the right context is is turn on that charm and that performer thing and people say oh well let's wheel out Rachel for this bit because she can sort of be convincing and compelling yeah it's not right always to do that so with great power comes great responsibility as (laughs) spider-man's granddad or someone said yeah you've got to be careful where you use that but you're right it's such a handy skill and I, I think you're the same with it as well because you know what techniques you can you've got that you can turn up and down right you've got the graphic equalizer that I'm doing with my hands and 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 it's a handy thing to have yeah yeah for sure and I've got to ask you about luck as well because I've heard you mention luck twice been the first time you said I'm not going to say I was lucky and the reason I want to want to ask about that is it's something that so many of the MDs and CEOs I'm fortunate enough to talk to on this podcast talk about so many times they say oh yeah but I, I guess I was lucky Ben or, or I got lucky and I'm just really fascinated with luck and de- deconstructing it because I'm a big believer of actually the a lot of the time we create our own luck. And yes, there is such a thing as pure, pure luck in the world. And I often now quote um, General David Petraeus, who was on the show, where he said, luck is just where preparedness meets opportunity, which, which I love. Yes, I love that. But what is, what, what's luck to you and what, what led you to say, I don't want to say I was lucky? Well, because with love and respect and admiration to the people that you've had on this show you've had a lot of white blokes on this show so it's really easy for them to say that they're lucky but they're not lucky they're born into a position of privilege and we don't like to think it because we're all hustling really hard and we're putting in the hours and I'm not dismissing any of that but they're not luckier they're lucky because the fact that they were born with a penis and because they're white and the world views that differently to the way that it would view someone who was you know from a minority ethnic background or or female or, or or another gender so it's unfair to put success down to luck because it's not 
like that. I could tell you a different story about my journey to becoming an MD and I could make it sound much more difficult and tell you about, you know, how I actually, you know, how to get the money together to buy a, a business and all that sort of stuff and make it sound. But actually at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm from a working class background, but I've got supportive parents and, and they helped me to get the money together. And, you know, I'm not lucky I'm born into a set of a privileged set of circumstances uh, relatively speaking so I think it's really unfair to talk about my luck because people who are less successful than me are not less lucky oftentimes they've just been dealt a harder hand than me so Mm. I think it's I think it's a tricky position to talk too much about luck does that make sense yeah makes makes perfect sense it's really really interesting but privilege Uh, is hard it's hard to unpick it and you can't ever separate these things and when we talk about luck, of course, there is an element of chance about things. And that was a chance encounter. But there will, there will always be this push of privilege. And again, I'm wildly pointing in a direction. This push of privilege that it puts you in that position where you could chance upon that situation. When so many other people who were born into a lower socioeconomic background, for example, just never would have been in that lift where they met such and such and shook their hand. So again, how lucky is chance uh, again it's just it's it's one thing leads to another and it's and it's all from the circumstances that you're born into yeah I I think this is fascinating and I think this has been in some ways one of the most the conversation around privilege I think has been one of the most useful sort of conversations that's been going on in the last few years sort of in in mainstream media because I think probably until even six months ago like this whole idea of white privilege is people didn't understand it. And you you or I, well, I don't know about you, I can't speak for you actually, but certainly for myself, I probably wouldn't even have considered that that privilege piece. But actually, as you start hearing the conversation and chatting to people from wildly different backgrounds, you realise, actually, whilst I might not consider myself privileged, actually, because of my background, I, I am. I'm a white middle-aged bloke from a working class, but kind of loving, loving background, didn't have any particular challenges or prejudices against me so in that respect I I am very privileged compared to to lots of people and again I guess bringing it back to leadership I think that's uh, becoming a more and more important thing for for leaders to understand if they want to get the best out of a diverse group of people that comes together to be known as a business right yeah I completely agree you have to have that humility I think as a leader and awareness of the circumstances and it's very easy to sort of have paused this podcast three minutes ago when I started off and uh, on my I don't know speech and and sort of like, oh, well I hear enough about that I, I hear enough about that we don't need to bring this into everything we don't need to bring race or we don't need to bring gender or, or whatever class into everything but actually you've got to be aware that it affects everything and it's only the most privileged of us who can choose to ignore it and for everybody else and, and Ben you really really nicely describe there the kind of circumstances that you're in and it's really good that you know recognize it now but I bet a minority ethnic person would be kind of rolling their eyes at you saying that you've only had to think about it the last six or 12 months or whatever they're going we've had to think about it every day of our lives and even as a woman you know I've been thinking at Thompson for example I was brought into meetings that I could be a female in there oh we've got an all-male pitch panel let's get Rachel in because we can't just go in with a load of blokes it'll it'll turn them off you know so for something it's it's even like I say as a cisgender white able-bodied woman I've still experienced this and so it's it's less surprising to me so as a leader you've got to have that humility that ability to look at the fact that not everyone's um, you know standing in the same shoes as you so for me that's a really important skill 
Quick one for you. If you're enjoying this episode, especially the parts around mental health, looking after yourself and looking after those that we've got the privilege and responsibility to lead, then do go and check out episode 28 with Brian Dow of Mental Health UK and Rethink Mental Illness if you've not already listened to that episode previously. I know if you're enjoying this one, you'll absolutely love my conversation with Brian. I'll let you get back to this episode though, folks. Sorry for the interruption. And that's probably a nice lead-in, Rachel, actually, to talk about something I wanted to ask you that we spoke about off-air earlier this week, which is how you said you're really passionate about doing things differently at Thompson and trying to break the mould in terms of leadership and how the, the business works. Can you, it's a really broad, vague question, but can you tell us about that? Yes, I think what I'm trying to do is do things a little bit better all the time, because you phrased it well when we spoke earlier in the week about doing things differently, and I thought... I probably used to do things differently just for the sake of doing things differently. But actually what I want is just to do things a bit better. So I just see things and think maybe we could change that. Maybe I'll just try that a little bit differently. And I just want it to be a little bit better every time. I'm not looking for perfection ever, but I'm just thinking there's a better way, surely. That's all I see the leaders around me do as well. You know, some people are like hugely visionary and see a new way of, I don't know, transacting, for example, and here comes Klarna and and whatever. But you've also got people who are just going, how could this be a bit easier, a bit easier, a bit better? And that's what I'm trying to do with Thompson, really. So I just saw that... The previous owners, they've done a great job of growing it to the position that it's been in, but they've also done that without having to focus on culture and things. So I'm thinking, well, how can I keep the best of the service offer as a branding agency, do all that brilliant stuff, but also just be a bit better about the opinions that we bring into the mix or the way that we treat people and talk about mental health or just that, just that, just that. And actually, when you look at it and say two, three, four years later, you're like, look at all that change. It's amazing. But it's just... The fact that yesterday we decided that we're going to change the way, this is a genuine thing, uh, yesterday we decided that we are going to block out two hours over lunch so no one uses the meeting rooms over lunch because it's stopping people from having lunch in there, which sounds like a really obvious thing, but we're a bit short on meeting space. But a tiny little thing, that will be done. And then in four weeks, everyone will have forgotten that it was ever a pain to eat lunch at lunchtime. And it will just be a tiny little thing. And in two years' time, I'll be coming back and telling you about my lunchtime well-being policy, and it'll be a thing in inverted commas, you know. But for me, it's really not. It's just about noticing things that could be a little bit better and just tiny changes. And by the way, if it doesn't work, we just change it back and no one notices because I've not announced anything. It's just a tiny thing that's just gets undone so that's not really about difference it's just about tiny changes yeah I love 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 that yeah resonates so much and it it reminds me of the book good to great by Jim Collins that loads of people listening will have read those have not read the book did a whole load of research looking at the companies in a particular sector that over the long run significantly outperformed all of their competitors and they said like what why was it what what did they do differently and it wasn't that they had some standout, amazingly inspiring, gregarious CEO. A lot of the time, nobody had a clue who the CEO was. A lot of the time, they were quiet and introverted and not the best speakers. But they were um, doing what they describe as constantly pushing the flywheel. Just lots of tiny, tiny incremental improvements that before you know it, two years are down the line and so much has changed. And this thing is just gathering momentum and and absolutely, absolutely flying. And then they go on to say that if you then go back and interview anyone in those businesses and say, 
you're doing amazingly well. What was the thing that made a difference? Like you get blank looks. They, what do you mean that the thing? There wasn't a thing. We just kept getting a little bit better every day at everything that we do. Yes, I totally agree. And uh, have you also have you read Black Box Thinking? Have you seen that book? No, I've seen it. It's kind of one of those that I've kind of heard about so often, but no, I've never not got around to reading it as yet. Well, I'll send it to you because I have it and I've only read half of it and I'm stopping there, to be honest. I feel like I've got what I need and I can't be bothered to read the rest of it. But the principle of the thing, we can tell from the title, it's about, you know, a black box on a plane. It's about looking at what you've done and learning from that instead of going, oh, that, well, that plane crashed onto the next one. It's about looking at why did that plane crash and what, what little thing can we change? Because the plane isn't broken. Um, it's about a tiny thing that, that malfunctions, say. So, yeah, black box thinking talks a lot about that, about this kind of being cognizant of what's gone before, learning from that and it can often be just in a tiny shift sort of way so I will send you that book because someone should finish that because I feel terrible that I can't well that's interesting though I a few years back I got really comfortable with not finishing a book like I used to think if you started a book you had to finish it and then suddenly <laughs> I realized like who, who says I do if I'm not enjoying yeah. it or if I've got what I want I'm gonna gonna ditch it you're so right which is most of my bookshelf now many many self-help and development books which I just do not finish and you're right I think I am fine with it yeah but you do I don't know about you but I do still keep them in the hope that one day I might finish them but it's just like a a permanent reminder of what I haven't done if I keep them so I'm trying to give them away hence me trying to flog this to you right now (laughs) (laughs) that's very very kind of you I will gratefully receive it so thank you (laughs) I also want to ask you about your journey of uh, I think you mentioned growing and developing yourself into the in, into the MD role. Were there any specific things that you kind of did with regards to that? Again, particularly from the perspective of helping other people who are heading towards or or a newly appointed MD. What were some of the things you kind of did and worked on? Yeah, I did it very deliberately. So I was sat in a spot where uh, myself, Chris and Paul, my two business partners, Chris is a creative and Paul's a strategist and I was in client services and we were pretty well spread, but we didn't have this clear kind of standout when it came to the managing director spot. And actually I thought, you know what, I have got a lot of the skills that are needed to do that job, but I feel like I'm lacking so much. But I think what I never did before this sort of this bit of my journey, which I'll explain, is I never sat down and sort of really thought about it. And I never sat down and wrote lists of what I needed to change. I'd do that for the shopping or for the garden or for the dogs or whatever. Must train them to sit, you know, that sort of thing. But I would never think about my career in that sort of decisive taking control sort of way. So I did, basically. And this is where I sound a little bit I can really into the self-help books and I do like an instructional self-help book but I, I a friend a random friend that I made on Instagram sent me a book out of the blue in the post and it was the Miracle Morning book which I bet right. people have spoken yeah, about yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so Miracle Morning it's a really very American book aspirational motivational cheesy actually is what I mean by American so sorry but I do um, it's got that sort of self-help gleaming teeth thing about it But basically, it's all about in the morning, setting up some time to work on yourself for whatever your goal might be, whether it's your fitness or your money goals or saving for retirement, whatever it might be. And it's about doing six things in the morning. So writing, doing affirmations, visualizing, meditating, exercise. And, you know, it it sells it as a sort of dream, but it's not really. It's just about taking the time to actually think about what you need and working towards it and using whatever tools work. And these are science-backed tools when it comes to things like visualisation and and affirmations and meditation. And once I really got them, and the book has helped me to sort of carve out time into my day, 
I decided this is in the August that I was going to make myself MD material by Christmas. And that didn't happen. But I was a new person. And people noticed it, you know, I was just turning up to meetings with the leadership team and saying, you know, here's my list of the things that I want to talk through. And this is where I think we're going. And it's not perfect, but I've made a deck and I want to talk you through it. You know, just the shift in my behavior, because I was being really aware of myself, and aware of what I wanted to do. So yeah, self-awareness, I think is the biggest thing. And just this prescription at the time was a very helpful way of me moving there. I would not have got here without doing that it would have taken me well maybe I would but it would have taken me far longer and I'd be much less convincing but at least it gave me the confidence in the direction that I'm going I found it very difficult to stick to in the last six to eight months something like that and I do feel like my progression has slowed a little bit as a result but at least I'm slowed on a plateau that's on a higher level than previously so I'm perfectly happy with that well I think you me and hundreds of thousands of other people in terms of kind of probably finding that kind of more difficult over the past six months or, or slightly longer. I've I've not read that book, but I've always been a big fan of kind of some sort of morning routine and kind of e- easing into the day instead of cra- crashing into it. And I teach this sort of stuff all, all the time. And I found it hard the last six to nine months, like partly our family's now got a dog. So that kind of adds a whole new dynamic and kind of changing work patterns and, and routines. It has undoubtedly been been harder to stick to any sort of routine during and as we hopefully kind of leave covid behind us it's definitely been been harder so i think there's an element of being being kind to ourselves right Mm. have you found it harder since post-pandemic then well you know i know we're still in it but you've seen a change really in in, in just this more recent time it has because it's just kind of blown apart kind of all the old routines and schedules and ways of working with my work changing my wife's work changing as i say kind of getting a dog where I used to kind of wake up when I wanted yeah. now I get woken up when Sadie the Beagle leaps on top of me in bed in the morning so mm-hmm. it, yeah it's, it is about being kind to yourself and adapting and finding I think new routines rather than clinging on so tightly to a r- routine that, that works for you when it can no longer work find a new one that does you are so right and do you know what? that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently this sort of balance between hustle culture the side hustle culture, you know, this idea of it's the it's about working longer, working harder, working smarter. It's about the hours you put in and the goals and the uber gains that you're going to get at the end of this thing. And if you really want business success or any kind of success, I suppose, you've got to put, put in a stint and one day there'll be this pot of gold. You've got that. And I've got some of that. And much as I try and avoid it, I'm, you know, as a guardian reader over here, I definitely have still got this kind of, oh, hey, capitalism, you know, it's all going to be worth it one day thing, the hustle thing. And then over here, I don't want to have it all. Part of me just wants to get even more dogs and get some kind of camper van, which doesn't really go well with the dogs. But, you know, I really want (laughs) to have this kind of roaming life and, and go away with my freelance friends and sit on a beach in Thailand or whatever, do yoga and look after my mental health, because I know that's right for so many reasons. But it's a really, what a dichotomy between these things. And I don't know, they don't, I do not have a balance, and I do not have an answer for it. I don't know how to balance those things, you know, so being easy on yourself is one thing, but at the same time, I want success. And I feel like I'm, I, I really believe I have to work so hard for it. So I don't know how to balance it. Yeah, well, let's kind of talk about that in a, in a second as well. But actually, it just occurred to me, in terms of being really honest and transparent with everybody listening, I'm very conscious that a few minutes ago I said, and if your routines don't work, just change them. Well, just change them. I probably spent eight to 12 weeks 
being a bit grumpy, a bit miserable, being upset because we've got a dog and I couldn't stick to my old nice little organized morning morning routine. So it's not always about just changing them. It's not always that that easy. And it takes a while to to realize. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's important to share that because it's the I'm always very conscious of sort of the social media thing where we project the the show reel and the best bits and the highlight reel of, of our life when you don't sometimes see the the struggle and the challenges that go on on behind. For sure. And and those people with say caring responsibilities, which we know is huge, you know, unpaid carers everywhere, for example, people who's who maybe work shifts and whose life doesn't sort of stack up neatly with this gorgeous sort of oh just rise early, you know that I'm describing about. There's just no perfect, is there? And it, and it's really really hard. But yeah, you are totally right with the with the theory, which is we should be easy on ourselves for whatever that means for us, trying to get whatever help we can get. Yeah, brilliant. And we've spoken around this a bit, Rachel. We've touched on mental health. We've touched on being kind to to ourselves. So I understand that's another real sort of passion area for for you. So, and especially leaders and mental health and leaders talking about their mental health. So can you talk to us about that, please? I would love to. But first off, I have enjoyed uh, anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. And that's that. On to the next point. It's the least interesting thing about me, probably. Um, but I'm also a leader. And I think I see loads more young people doing tons to to talk about their mental health on social and on, on other channels and in real life. I know a friend of mine started a mental health club for her seven-year-old school kids, you know, and stuff in September. And like, kids, young people are getting better at talking about mental health. And then you've got these really uh, non-understanding leaders who are going, well, it's all very well and good, you wanting to only work four days a week for your mental health, but what about my bottom line? You know, you, these, there's a, such a disconnect there. And unless people like me and other leaders, uh, particularly in white-collar organisations, blue chips, unless they talk about their mental health, there is just going to be a huge divergence and you're going to get all the younger people who are going off and working for themselves and you're going to get all the white male CEOs who just can't imagine what on earth happened to the youth of today. Mm. We have to start acting differently because I've, I've got to say the younger generation have got it right uh, in, in what they're doing. We have to start talking about mental health in the workplace. It really, 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 it's, it's, it's so integral. You know, our, our work life our mental health, they are the same thing. So we do loads of work with, um, so we're a branding agency, but we specialize in health and well-being. So I will say that that means I do a lot around mental health with mind and the mental health at work program and stuff anyway. So I am, you know, completely biased is PSPS. But I try very hard to talk about my own mental health. I find it hard to do it on the bad days. Earlier mm -hmm. today, I was feeling really anxious and I couldn't say it. I just turned up on a meeting anyway. And I even thought, oh, should I, this thing with Ben, I'm just feeling a bit sort of anxious about it or, or anxious about life. I don't know what it is, lack of sleep. And, but I was like, no, 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 I can't cancel it because I've got to keep going. And, you know, so I don't get it right, but I particularly get it wrong when I'm not feeling great. But we have to talk about it on the bad days as well as the, the days when we're feeling a bit better and encourage open conversations because it's better for ourselves it's better for people that we work with but also because I really think that the there will be a huge crisis in business if we we don't find a way of sort of converging on this so something that if people are 
thinking the same thing. There's a brilliant thing that exists called the Inside Out Leaderboard, which is run by a guy called Rob Stevenson. And, and it's got loads of members from people like Unilever and Deloitte, myself at Thompson, who can be who can sign up as role models, who basically promise to talk about mental health in a leadership role. Um, so it's senior leaders across business in the UK. And it's something that you can find out more about. Obviously, it's all free, but there are awards. You can you can nominate people for it. And it's just about sort of like-minded people getting together and talking about how they can share best practice in their organisation. So it's a really great, I think we've got, just got charity status. They're doing brilliant things. So I'm a, I'm a role model on that programme. And I think it's something if, if other people are interested in talking about it more in their organisation that people should seek out. So that's the Inside Out Leaderboard. Well, we'll dig out the details and we'll put it, we'll include it with the show notes. People can go and easily, really easily find out more. Thank you. You should you should think about it. I think you'd be great for it. That's very kind. Yeah. So if there was any um, podcast induced anxiety, Rachel, I I hope it's all been fine, and I genuinely hope I've uh, managed to put you at ease, and you'll have you find this to be an enjoyable process by the time we stop recording. By the time we finish, I'm sure. No, no, it's been lovely so far, and I've got to say, it wasn't podcast induced at all. It was a. Probably people listening might feel the same, but sometimes with your role, uh, even as you know, MD or CEO, whatever you are, you just have to pivot and take on loads of other things that aren't really on supposed to be on your to-do list, right? And that's what I've been doing recently because uh, I've got a bit of a recruitment problem and I'm trying to just help everyone get through everything. So my to-do list is, seems to be growing. So that's really what's, what's brought it on is overcommitting to things um, when I'm about to go on holiday, which I say I won't do every time I go on holiday and yet without fail I do so yeah. it wasn't the podcast at all this is the nice highlight and I get a magnum when I've done this as well so um, definitely wasn't this brilliant I was just going to say like that not over committing it just seems like a lesson so many of us just have to keep learning and relearning and relearning and relearning like that's that's, that's been, been my week as well like I took on one one too many things and it was all fine in the end before oh, why did I put myself under that much pressure to do it why didn't I just say like thank you very much for asking me but it's not right at the minute there's a lot going on but maybe I'll learn the lesson next time maybe I won't <laughs> you need other people around you to change though I think there's a good book called how to have a good day that um, talks about the psychology of that sort of thing right. and um, how you can uh, manage your workload and prioritization say no in a very lovely way as well I found that to be excellent obviously absolutely not practicing what I've read there but it's so hard societal pressure etc etc there's myriad reasons that you you can't take credit for yeah for sure and that's probably a nice little segue Rachel into um, a few quick fire questions to to start bringing things to a close from your perspective what do you think are three really important or key traits for leaders today leading in the current world that we find ourselves in I would say humility is really important. I've already mentioned that one, so I've got to bring that back. Humility, curiosity, because you're going to have to keep changing right now, so you better be open to finding new ways of doing things. Although it did kill the cat. It did, poor cats. But the curious person found a new cat (laughs) and all was fine. (laughs) So curiosity. And probably, I still think that being inspirational is a really important trait for a leader. Again, because that's my ABC profile or whatever the phrases are. But yeah, I think you've still got to have that inspirational thing. Brilliant. And well, you've mentioned a few, actually. I've got an idea about what you might say, but I don't want to prejudge it. What would you say is one book that has really had a significant impact upon you? Yeah, I've been a bit booky, haven't I? It makes it sound like I read loads of books, and I don't. I read half of several books, as we know, and then I abandon them. Uh, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod and How to Have a Good Day, without a doubt. Those oh, two. Yeah, I was going to guess Miracle Morning just by how um, how positively you spoke about it. 
evangelical. I think I've got it there have as you? well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this last one I, I love, and I have to now caveat it and say, other than your mobile phone, because that's the first answer for lots of people. So what is one item other than your mobile phone that you would immediately replace if it was lost, broken or stolen? I love it. It's a great question. And I'm also going to say other than my dogs, because I feel like that's a cop out, but it would be my dogs. And then second of all would be my eye mask, my sleeping eye mask, because I don't sleep well and I need more sleep. And I love that thing. A silk eye mask. That is a sign that you've made it in your life. And I need it with me at all times. I couldn't cope without it. I'd be on Amazon Prime same day, you know, if that thing went. Is that for just when you're traveling or is that for daily, every night? Yeah, Yeah. every night. I had a nap about an hour ago with that little baby. Oh, that's (laughs) that's interesting. Are you a a big power nap person? Is that part of your working week or is it just particularly today? Just just as recently, I'm just recovering from COVID. I finally succumbed to COVID and I am wiped out and just starting to get a bit more functional. But yeah, this week has been really tricky with the with the brain fog and things. So I thought I'd try a little power 10 minutes. It works. I'm here. I'm alert. My eyes are open. <laughs> Fantastic. Rachel, it has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Listeners won't be able to see, but I think I've been standing here smiling the whole the whole way through. So thank you so much for, for getting in touch and coming on the show to talk about your journey, some of your beliefs, and I guess your passion and dedication for, for doing things just a little bit differently each day. So thanks very much and just wish you every continued success with the business going forward. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a lovely, lovely pleasure. And you have been grinning throughout. I've loved it. There you have it, folks. That was episode 90. I told you it was an absolute cracker and I'm pretty sure you will have loved listening to everything that Rachel had to share. It really was packed full of so many fascinating stories and insights. If you are enjoying the show, folks, as always, please do take just a couple of minutes for me to rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to be listening. And do also take the opportunity to get in touch with me. We've created a new one-click, very simple link in the show notes that you can click on to share some feedback on the show, suggest a guest you'd like us to have on, maybe introduce us to somebody you know who you think would make for a great guest, or even drop me a line to tell me about something you've done differently as a result of listening to the show And based on that, I can maybe get you onto the show for just five minutes at the end to talk about your experience. But that is it for now. That's it for episode 90. I hope you've got huge value from it. Look after yourselves and until next time, lead on. Mm